0: The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. Thanks, guys. You can have a seat. Let's pray. Father, we sing that song, and I so want it to be true in all of my life and in all of our lives. And yet... I must confess that we don't surrender all. We're so easily pulled back into the pleasures of this world. Being enticed by our flesh, being enticed by what sin can offer us. Being blind to the truth because we're still in this body of death. And so Lord, I first pray that you would forgive us of our sins. As I know you will. As your word says, if we ask, you will. And Lord, strengthen us. Show us that, that the pleasures of this world, that our sin, our, our fleeting and our lies. Lord, help us each day when we wake up to your new mercies, to wake up knowing that all the hope that we need, all the blessings that we can truly trust and come from you. And Lord, I pray that we would live lives that are truly surrendered to you in every aspect. Father, I also pray this morning as we get to open your word, return to this great gospel to see your grace and glory on display. Lord, soften our hearts. Be with me as I get to present these things to us all, get to open up your word, and just glory in the magnitude of your grace. Lord, just help us always to just better see and understand just the depths of our sin, but alongside that, just the depths of your glory. Just be with us now. In your son's name, amen. Once again, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. If you weren't with us last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon. You can do so either through our website or on um, our podcast stream. And the reason that I would have you listen to last week's sermon is because this is part two uh, in this section. Last week we focused in on the footnote or the, the script that comes before this passage in my Bible. It says the earliest manuscripts do not include John 7 53 through 811 and we looked at what that all entails. And so we are assuming, I'm assuming this morning that you know why I am preaching this text of Scripture, even though it's in brackets. Just uh, really quickly to sum up what what we looked at, we did discuss that the reason that this passage is in brackets is because it was not found in any of the uh, manuscripts until the 5th century, so for about 400 years. The Gospel of John did not include uh, John 1 through 8. We also looked at the fact that when this story was included in the Gospel, When it was found in the Gospels, it was found in numerous places, John 8 being one of them. Uh, But we also recognize that for 1,400 years, the church has considered this, uh, or has kept this in the Gospel of John. So we said this was not in the original manuscripts, But even still, we should preach it because uh, we do believe that it is a true story that actually happened that was carried down from oral tradition uh, until a scribe placed it in there somewhere around the 5th century. Now, I know that is a huge sum up of what a 40-minute sermon was. So, if there was anything that caught you off guard there and you're like, hang on, I have problems with that, just go listen to the sermon. and We hope that we can lay those um, uh, fears to rest there. But, this morning... I get to unpack what might be uh, one of my favorite stories in the gospel. And as every good preacher does, I say that about like half the story. So I'm not counting, but I do love this one very much. If you will, read with me John 8, 1 through 11. And they each went to his own house. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again to the temple. And all the people came to him. And he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So, what do you say? This they said to him that they might bring some charge against him. But Jesus bent down and wrote with his fingers on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, because they didn't like that he was ignoring him, he stood up and said, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on sin no more. It's a Beautiful picture of God's grace being put on full display. I said that last week we get to see just the the, the beauty of, of Christ receiving a sinner and being gracious towards a sinner here. I'm excited to jump into the details. But the first question that I want to look at and I want to answer this morning or, or offer an answer to uh, is... The question of why does John 8, 1 through 11, understanding that it wasn't in the original manuscripts, why is it placed here in the story? You know, we've been saying in this whole section um, during the Feast of Booths from John 7 through John 10 that this whole section is focusing on describing the difference between the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. It's describing what's happening, the way that Jesus approaches this world and sinners and how the religious leaders approach this world and sinners. And I believe that this story is the perfect juxtaposition, comparison, uh, illustration of the difference Difference between the religious leaders and Jesus. Think back to uh, chapter seven. Just if you're in my Bible, turn one page back. The last section that we saw here was that Jesus was angering the religious leaders so much that they sent their officers in the Levites, those Levitical officers, out to arrest Jesus. And the officers came back after seeing how the people responded to Jesus, after hearing Jesus firsthand, and they essentially said, we can't do that. I mean, just read with me uh, 740 through, let's start at 45. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said to them, well, why didn't you bring him? Like, you're supposed to bring him back. And the officers answered, no one has ever spoke like this man. And we're kind of like having a pause, like, Maybe you should just check yourself before we we go through this. This guy's different. And the Pharisees answered him, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. The reason I highlight this is when the Pharisees are pressed... To try to get their plan and action to get Jesus arrested, we see their true selves come out. This first response of, have you been deceived? Essentially what they're saying is, are you stupid also? Are you fools for believing in, in Christ also? What are you doing? We thought you were smarter than this. And then when they compare them with the common man, it's like, well, the crowds... The crowds does not know the law. They're a curse because of the law. They are throwing them under the bus of like, really, you're going to trust the crowds here? I mean, we have all of these degrees and you're going to trust those stupid common pilgrims that are just here for a feast over who Jesus truly is? We can immediately see this us and them paradigm coming out of these Pharisees, these religious leaders. We can immediately see them look down upon these common pilgrims for their views of of who Christ is. And we can see uh, this juxtaposition because they're saying, uh, excuse me, we are the faithful. We have the law. Jesus, he's the faithless. Have you listened to what he has been saying? He is breaking all of our laws. They're saying we are the pure. We, we have been following God's laws. Jesus is the defiler. He's the lawbreaker. He's the one who huh, he would dare take the heads of grain and rub them in their hands and work on the Sabbath. They're saying, we follow Moses. Are you disagreeing with Moses? Jesus. Jesus is clearly laying out a different path besides Moses. They're demonstrating. They truly believe they hold the source and the key to eternal life. And if anyone dares oppose them, Well, they're going to be defiled and they're heading straight towards hell. There's this, there's this really hatred that we can see from the religious leaders to the crowd because of Jesus that's coming out. And I believe that these structures, especially when it's the people who are called to offer grace and mercy, the the religious leaders who are there to offer the grace of God, when they turn against the common people, it's maddening. And here's what I think happened. I think the scribes that were translating or, not, or that were copying down the Gospel of John, that were telling the story about Jesus, that had gotten this far into the Gospel, and they, they could feel the accusations from these religious leaders towards Jesus, they were angry because they're like, You don't understand. My Lord doesn't treat people that way. My Lord doesn't use sinners and shame sinners and throw sinners away. My Lord treats sinners far better than these religious leaders. And so in the midst of this story, I can almost see just some scribe being so frustrated because he's like, that's not who Jesus is. Stops and goes, can I just tell you a story before we go on about how he actually deals with sinners? Now, I don't know if that's actually how that happened. But it makes sense to me. Why here? Because as we said last week, the story clearly goes on. If if you jump from 752 down to 812, it would seem that that was the actual story. That's what's in the original manuscripts that we have. So why is John 8 here? I really do believe because it demonstrates the comparison, the stark comparison between, between the way Jesus treats sinners and these religious leaders treat sinners. So let's get into it. How's the story go? Jesus is at the Mount of Olives. Side note, this is the only time that the Mount of Olives is discussed in the Gospel of John. That's one of the reasons why they thought this section can't be, be real. And early in the morning, he came again to the temple, as he had been doing during this feast. And he sat down and he taught the people. And I'm sure by now, Jesus could not be alone at all. There was always a crowd. And he found some corner, I would say some quiet corner, but it wasn't going to be quiet for long, some corner in the temple, and he began to teach people. And like he had been doing now, a large crowd gathered around him. And suddenly, these scribes and Pharisees came dragging this poor woman in and plopped her at Jesus' feet. And we have now this story opens up scribes and Pharisees brought this woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst and said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery. What are you going to do to her? Here's some just simple things about this uh, conversation. No one disagrees that she was caught in adultery. Jesus agrees with that. The woman agrees with that. The religious leaders agree to that. The crowd. No one stands up and goes, you have it wrong more than likely what happened was she was, when it says caught in adultery, the, the the language here assumes that she was literally caught in the act of adultery. That she was with the man and they grabbed her. There was no question about it. She had been in sin with a person who was not her husband and they grabbed her and they brought her to Jesus and they put her in front of, of her and asked, what are you going to do? And Jesus, obviously, as prophet whom he is as God's son whom he is. The question is, well, aren't you going to follow God's law? That's really what's going on when they say, now in the law, now in the law, Moses commands us to stone such a woman. So what are you going to do? Well, this calls back, if you go back to the law, what they're referencing is Deuteronomy 22. And it's interesting the people that Uh, are asking this question because they would know Deuteronomy 22 really well. Notice who brought this woman. It was the scribes and the Pharisees. This is the only time in the Gospel of John that the scribes were explicitly... talked about when the religious leaders were around. Pharisees, we've, we've, we've run into Pharisees a lot in this book. We're gonna run into them even more. But scribes, this is the only time when scribes are defined as being part of the group. Now, who are scribes? I think that's actually important to understand what's happening here. Scribes are a part of the Pharisees. They are a part of that religious elite that is, um, that is over the religious community in Israel. But scribes have a very important role. They play the role of lawyer among the Pharisees. They're, they were recognized as students and expositors of the law of Moses. They were the theologians. They were the ethicists. Eth- I can't say that word. Never mind. I've tried that. But they, they, they were the lawyers. And what happens when lawyers show up? Right? Stacey's not here. I was going to pick on Stacy because she is a lawyer. When lawyers show up, bad things happen. And lawyers, like, are all about the details, are all about the rules, want to know what the contract says. And these scribes walk up to Jesus at this moment and go, okay, let's have a discussion over the law. Let's have a discussion over the contract. But why are they doing this? Well, they're doing this because they're switching their tactics. In seven fifty, forty-five 45 through 52, they wanted to arrest Jesus because he was really creating a ruckus among um, the um, Israelites. Because they were causing them to doubt whether these religious leaders know what they were talking about. But it didn't work. Because they sent the officers out and they were like, this guy's never spoken like this. I'm not going to arrest him. Well, they're changing their tactics. They're actually trying to trap him and get the Romans to throw him in prison. You see, the funny thing about the Pharisees, they had no real power. In the Roman province that they lived in, they were at best social influencers. They could influence the culture of things, but they actually couldn't make any laws about things. Think about, we're going to get to here, when Jesus is arrested at the end of his life, before the crucifixion, where do, where do they take him? To Pontius Pilate the governor of that region that worked for the Roman Empire. The Pharisees didn't have the authority themselves to put Jesus into prison or to kill Jesus or to do anything. And here they recognize that. So what they're trying to do is get Jesus to break the law. And the way that they do that is by creating the situation where we're going to bring one person who is caught in adultery and see if Jesus is going to follow the letter of the law like he should. And if he doesn't, we can trap him and we can go to Rome and go, see, Jesus is killing people that, they're not, that aren't supposed to die. Just read or rather listen to Deuteronomy 22, 22 through 24. This is the section of the law that these people are referring to. If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall purge the evil from Israel. If there is a betrothed version and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out of the gates of the city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because because he violated his neighbor's wife. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. These scribes, these lawyers, I'm sure they've been thinking about this for a long time. They thought they had an airtight case. Because if Jesus doesn't say this woman needs to be stoned, he's breaking God's law. But notice how many people the Pharisees and the scribes drag in front of Jesus. Just the woman. And if she was caught in adultery, in the act of adultery, where's the guy? And clearly, Deuteronomy 22 says both, both are stoned and put to death. So they're like, ooh, well, if he stones the woman, then now he has wrongfully caused bloodshed so we can get Rome to throw him in prison. So they thought they caught him. But Jesus really wasn't amused. In fact, we see that. Because look what Jesus does. Well, He bent down and he wrote with his fingers on the ground. As I was studying for this passage, the amount of space that the commentaries gave to try to figure out what Jesus was writing on the ground was shocking. I even listened to parts of sermons that the entire thrust of this passage was about Jesus writing on the ground. And there's some good things we can pull out of that. I'm not, I'm not going to. But I don't think the important action here is that he was writing or even what he was writing. But why was he writing? If you walk into my office or to my house or up, up to me and you ask me a question and I immediately pull out my phone you just ask me the question and I just go start scrolling. What is that? What, what silent what what signals am I sending to you silently? Get away from me. I'm annoyed by you. I can't believe you're asking me this question. Like, the act of having that phone in my hand and just scrolling, and you're like, yeah, I, I, I know what you said, but I care so little about you at this moment that I'm not actually going to focus on that because that is a ridiculous question. I mean, the action speaks louder than words. I think that's what Jesus is doing here. Like, the absurdity of this situation, the fact that they're bringing this, this sinner... Definitely a sinner, but this poor woman that was caught in adultery and dragged before this whole entire crowd to have Jesus answer this question. Jesus is like, Oh my goodness, really? This is really where you're going? And they press him. They go, "Uh, Excuse me, Jesus, this is a problem here. The law of Moses says this. She's a sinner. What are you going to do? And they press him. And he finally looks up. He stands up and goes, Okay, here's my response. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. He, he, he acknowledges, yes, that is what the law says. So if any of you feel like you're justified in doing that, go for it. It would be within your rights uh, to follow God's law by throwing a stone. But this statement... Spoke past the legal maneuvering that they're trying to, you know, trap Jesus in. And it spoke right to the heart of the scribes and Pharisees. Who in that moment were trying to sidestep their own, the, the fact that they broke the law themselves. Jesus like, okay. If you feel like that's how you need to treat a sinner in, at, in this moment, go for it. And look what he does. He goes right back to writing. And knowing it's on you guys. And obviously the conversation turned from the crowd towards Jesus to the crowd towards themselves. Because what we can see is that when they heard that, they started to go away one by one beginning with the older ones. Until it's just Jesus and this woman. This scene so perplexed them. It, they, they, they realized, I love that it said it started with the older ones. Because I have noticed something. It seems that those who have been in the faith longer, those who have uh, been believing longer and are older, understand the depths of their sin more. Because quite frankly, they li- they've lived more life and recognized how easy it is to fall into sin. So it's like the older ones who are like, hey guys, he's got a point. And there's none of us here who can say that we're righteous. There's none of us here who can pick up those stones. I, I, I think we need to leave. And they left. Jesus once again stood up and looks at this woman who you would think have left by now, don't you? Like she was dragged here by the religious leaders and then all of a sudden the religious leaders left. Wouldn't you try to make an escape? I think I would. Be like, I'm going to get out of here because they just caught me. But there's something inside this woman. It seems she goes, I'm going to stay here. I think I need to hear what this guy says. I'm I'm reading into it here. Jesus looks up and goes, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Has no one thrown a stone at you? Is no one going to obey the law? Clearly they were all about that a couple moments ago. She said, no one, Lord. Jesus says, neither do I. And go, and from now on, sin no more. Like I said, there's a stark difference between how these religious leaders treated this woman and how Jesus treats her. And, and this is where I want to spend the rest of our time. Because this, this difference can't be lost on us. And quite frankly, we can't make the same mistake as they made. She broke the law. There's no question about that. She, she broke Deuteronomy 22. She clearly was in sin. She clearly, following God's law, deserved that stoning. But in more of a sense, she broke the religious leader's law. Their code of conduct. Their, their expected personal ethic. Their well thought out system of life. And because she didn't measure up, you know what these leaders were willing to do? Cast her aside. And this is where the clear correlation between these Pharisees and how they treated the woman and and how Jesus treated the woman. But I also think there's a correlation between how the Pharisees treated the woman and how we see the world treating people today. I've been reading this book recently. It's called The Strange New World by Carl Truman. I recommend it to you. It's a, a synopsis of a larger book that he wrote. I don't have that title in my head, it's like 400 pages. Either of them, fantastic. And Strange New World is looking at really, def- it, it, is, it's, it describes the world that we live in and, and, and really describing how we, th- self became this idea that we're struggling with of who, who are we, what is our identity. But what stood out to me in this book, but even what stood out to me in our world is that if we go against the logic that our world offers for us, they just reject us. If we break their law, they just cast us aside. And we can see this with these religious leaders. This woman clearly broke God's law. And what did these individuals do? They cast her aside. They rejected her. They brought her in front of Jesus and used her as this example to get to Jesus. They were just using this person. They didn't care about her. They, they brought her and said, what are you going to do with her? But the person really on trial, the person they were actually trying to get to was Jesus. She was collateral damage and they were willing to use her. And we can see this in our world. Where there's no place for forgiveness. There's no place for looking at a person and going, you've done bad things. You are struggling with who you are. But there is grace. But there is forgiveness. The world that we live in is all or nothing. If you don't agree with them, hook, line, and sinker, you're just rejected. But then there's Jesus. And this is where, as the body of Christ, as we As lights living in a dark place, we get to look different because Jesus doesn't brush over her sin. He acknowledges the sin, but he does something about the sin. Because when Jesus says, "Uh, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she goes, no. And his response is, neither do I condemn you. What he's not doing there is saying, yeah, I'm not going to follow God's law. The religious leaders thought the trap that he was placed in was are you going to obey God's law or, or, and ruin this sinner and kill this sinner and stone this sinner? Or are you going to allow this sinner to live and not obey God's law? Well, Jesus offers a completely different paradigm. And it's this. I'll be stoned for her. You're going to throw this stone at me. The stones that should be thrown at her, I'll take. The law that she broke, that, that God's wrath has to be satisfied for, I'll satisfy that. The, Jesus is sitting in front of a woman and saying, neither do I condemn you. And in a few short months, will die on the cross for her. But those religious leaders wanted nothing to do with it. they just cast her aside as I was um, looking over my notes yesterday my um, Noelle came in to the kitchen and she goes dad I'm, I'm, I'm learning this new song can I play it for you I was in the middle of studying but I was like sure yes I, I, I should say yes to this this isn't going to happen all the time this is awesome and she's taking guitar and the songs that she's learning are worship songs thank you Phoebe and she sang me the new song that she's learning. And it's one of these moments that it was the spirit that brought this song to my mind because he knew that we needed to, to hear the song today. I'm not going to sing it, but I am going to read some. We sing it here. It's called Carried to the Table. It says this. Wounded and forsaken, I was scattered by the fall. Broken and forgotten, feeling lost and all alone. Summoned by the Father and to the Master's courts. Lifted by the Savior and cradled in His arms. I was carried to the table, seated where I don't belong. I was carried to the table, swept away by His love. And I don't see my brokenness anymore when I'm seated at the table of the Lord. I'm carried to the table, the table of the Lord. These men carried this woman, the sinful woman, to be shamed and killed. That's what they could do. But Jesus is going to carry this woman like he's going to carry all of us To a table, not of shame and wrath, but of celebration. He's going to to carry you, not to be ashamed or to put on trial, not to be banished, but to be swept away by his love, not swept away by his wrath. Who treated this woman better? The person who had nothing to lose because of her sin? These religious leaders? The person who had more in common with her than Jesus had in common with her because they could go, I'm a sinner too. Or the person who had everything to lose because they will pay for her sins. This is why I think this story's in here to see the juxtaposition, the comparison between the kingdom of man and how we are judged by who we are and what we've done. That's the only way the kingdom of man operates. Who are you and what have you done? How good are you? How disciplined are you? How faithful are you? In the kingdom of God. Where your judgment is is given to another. And you are a person that has been given a position. At a table. That you did not earn. That song really brought me to just the picture of the, the throne room of heaven and the feast that we're going to have with our Savior in eternity whenever he comes back. I started to picture the people around that table. The people around that table are not the religious leaders who have their lives together. The people around that table are not those who have worked hard enough to get there. The people around that table are are the woman that was caught in adultery in that shameful moment who knew, I think I just need to sit here with Jesus because he's treating me different than anyone's ever treated me. And was not condemned, but was saved. The people around that table are going to be you and I but the thing that I know about you and I is that we have more in common with the woman caught in adultery than we do any good upstanding religious person because when Christ sees us, he does not see the the filthy rags that we call good. The disciplines that we um, succeed at 1% of the time. No, when he looks at us before Christ, he sees an eternal weight of wrath that must be poured out upon you and I. But then when he looks at us with Christ, he doesn't even see that. He sees the woman caught in adultery. He sees the woman at the well. He sees the... Nicodemus, who was that religious leader trying to figure it out, he sees Ryan, who in their own selves is ruined and lost. And yet he sees a saint that has been de- or a sinner that has been declared a saint. And Christ's blood being laid upon them and washing them clean. Just to close this morning, I want to speak to two people two types of people. I'm not going to speak to two people individually. The first person is is the sinner that's afraid that they will be rejected by Jesus. In my life, I have had moments when I have feared being caught in my sin because I had sin to be caught in. And what put a pit in my stomach is when are they going to find out? When are they going to know who I truly am? When are they going to know the lie that I'm hiding? When are they going to know the sin that's inside of me? And the reason that it was kept hidden for so long was because I thought that revealing it meant rejection, meant failure, meant loss, meant shame. This woman was caught in the unthinkable. I'm sure when she woke up that morning, she did not imagine that her sin would be revealed, that she'd be sitting in front of Jesus, and that it would be the worst day possible. If you're that person, and I'm sure there's several of you in this room because good Christians are great at putting on plastic personas where we can just hide things. Here's what I'll tell you Jesus is a merciful Savior. And he knows that thing inside of you now. He knows that it's deeper than you can even imagine. He knows that you're struggling with it in a way that you can't even express. He knows you. This is why the scariest verse in the Bible in my mind is Hebrews 4.16. That the word of God is like a two-edged sword dividing joint and marrow. Because you, it will cut you deep and know the very depths of who you are. But what we can see from this picture is that Jesus is not going to condemn you. Now Jesus is going to save you by dying for your sins on the cross and by offering you what you don't deserve because what you do deserve is stones. What I deserve is stones. That he'll give you the blood that he spilt on the cross. Second person I want to talk to is the believer that thinks a person can out God. That's why these religious leaders brought this woman in front of Jesus. They thought they had an airtight case. If there's anyone who deserves to die, if there's anyone that is above God's grace, if there's anyone that has gone too far, it's the woman who is caught in adultery. And Jesus offers grace to that person. In our minds, it's so easy for us to preach the gospel to, I'll make it personal, our kids that are good kids, that haven't done anything terribly wrong, that, of course, are sinners, because they're two, but are still good kids. It's easy for us to preach the gospel and go, Jesus can save you. It's harder for us to look at the person who is, Harmed us, who has shamed us, who has hurt us, who has done the unthinkable, and say Jesus can cover that as well. I know in my own life, as just living life, interacting with people, I'm, I'm, I, I, it's easy for me to almost think why waste my breath trying to evangelize them because I don't think they're going to hear it. I don't think they're going to believe it. I, don't, I think they're too far gone. And so what I would just I don't know, I ask you to pause today and realize as believers, the message that we carry with us first inside of our hearts and go, I'm you know, I'm the chief of center, like Paul. The, the The message that we carry with us is, if Jesus could save me, he can save you. And let me tell you, I needed saving more than I ever imagined, and I know you do as well. But can I give you a hope that is not found in? Understanding who you are by the world's standards or as underst- you know, being a good person and all, what all of that details. But can I give you a hope that is found by looking at a person who could condemn you but didn't. But died on the cross. As we turn towards communion, we often sing carry to the table as the communion song. Because what we're about to do by taking these elements together is to celebrate the fact that the body and the death that we needed is offered to us, but along with that is looking forward to the fact that one day we will sit in heaven at a banquet feast in in heaven with the lamb that sacrificed himself, and we will feast together. And he did not carry you there, because he thought that you deserved it. He did not carry you there because you were good enough. He did not carry you there because of whatever you're trusting in right now, unless it's trusting in the fact that you can be there because of Christ's life, burial, death, and resurrection. If you're here this morning and, and you, maybe you fit into that first category that I was talking about got that sin that you're hiding, you're, you're not sure if you can actually trust Jesus, you don't know what this message of the gospel really is, maybe these are all new words for you, I would ask that you let this, these elements pass you by. Because we don't want them to confuse you. We don't take these elements to um, level up in our spirituality, to, to reconfirm the faith that we have. We take these elements to celebrate. To remind ourselves through our, through our senses that what we can trust in is not us, but it's Christ. And so I would just ask that you, you let these elements pass you by and then come talk to me at the end. Or talk to Damien, or talk to Nick, talk to any, or any elder, or talk to the person next to you and just go, what is this? Because the grace that that woman received, I need. And I know that they will be happy to share that with you. Let's pray and we can take these elements together. Lord, thank you for grace. And that's not enough. There's no way to say thank you. Lord, we, we were that woman caught in adultery, faithless, broken, blind. We couldn't even see that we needed you. And it wasn't until you came to us and opened our eyes, regenerated our hearts. Put in a new heart. We can see the gift that we have. Lord, help us to rest in that every day. Lord, help us as your church to be so excited and passionate over the truth of the gospel that we are proclaiming this message indiscriminately to all who will hear. Or to use us as your ambassadors to proclaim not us, not what we have done and not how, how good we are on a horizontal level, but how great you are. You sent your son to die for us and we can rest in that. Just be with us now as we take this table. In your name, amen.